Um, seen the TV show Highlander or the movie Highlander? Highlander? Don't be ashamed. Do you know what I'm talking about? They cut each other's heads off and absorb their power. Is that bringing, bringing it back? Okay, so whenever, whenever somebody talks about the in-gathering of like a day that we're going to all uh, emphasize giving to a particular cause, I always think of Highlander. And I think, I don't remember exactly what it was called, but I think it was called The Gathering when they would all get together or they would fight each other. So anyway, whenever someone says, October 6th is going to be our in-gathering, I go, wait, what? Oh, okay, it's a thing. It's, uh, yeah. In any case, I have ADD, and thank you for putting up with me. Um, I'm glad that you're here. I think, I think I've, had, I've had such a good time going through Philippians that um, I almost feel bad because I spend, I spend so much time gleaning from it myself that by the time I'm ready to put something down for you, I'm like, there's no way. There's no way that I can give you in, you know, 30 minutes what God's been pouring into me for this whole week. And so I almost feel like, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm starving you or something like that. But, but I trust Jesus and his timing and, and that his word, when it's, when it's spoken, it just cuts right through all of the other things that we have going on. And so, um, but I want to encourage you, as we go through a book like this, like Philippians, or read it yourself. I mean, you know what's coming, right? Because we just, we pick up where we left off last time. So you can read ahead, you can look back a little bit, and you can reflect on things on your own. I would love to see you do that. I would love to, to hear you do that and to hear your thoughts as you, as you go through that. Uh, not in the middle of the service, but maybe during the week. Maybe you could email me or something. But um, last week, we heard the Apostle Paul start using his testimony to talk about the gospel. They say the simplest testimony in the Bible is the blind man who ran to the temple after Jesus healed him, and he declared, I was blind, and now I see. There's a before and after with the gospel. Before Jesus, and then after Jesus. What has Jesus done in your life? And Jesus has done something in your life if you're a Christian. He's changed your life somehow. If Jesus has not changed your life, you're not following him because you were not being like Jesus before you gave your life to Jesus. I guarantee it. And if you're not, if nothing's changed, you're not a believer. You're not following him. So he's changed your life in some way. Sharing what that is like is part of your testimony. It's like if you're on trial and you're called as a witness. Maybe you're not on trial, but the gospel's on trial, and you're called as a witness. What is your testimony? What are you going to share to the jury and to the judge about what Jesus has done in your life? For Paul, he wrote about how he had everything before Jesus, how he had everything you could want. We talked about this last week. And he gave it all up for the sake of knowing Jesus and being found in him. That's his conversion, when he decided to give it all up for Jesus. And now he has a righteousness that doesn't come from the law or from by the things that he does, but it comes by faith in Jesus. So I I had everything that I ever wanted, and I gave it all up so I could follow Jesus. And now I have a righteousness that comes by faith. 
We're going to think about that as we open up our Bibles. Go to Philippians chapter 3. We're starting in verse 12. If you're using the Bibles under the chairs, it's on page 981. If your life has been turned upside down by Jesus, you've got a testimony, you've got a story, and your story can be a very powerful way of sharing the gospel. But for Paul, his story is that he gave up everything. He's pursuing Jesus with all his life so that he can have this righteousness. But here's what he says about that righteousness. Verse 12. Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Paul's life goal, what's he after? His life goal is to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. And that's the same thing that we're all after. As Christians, we're all after knowing Jesus and the power of his resurrection. Eternal life, y'all, that's what we're after, amen? That's what we want. That's what we want. I remember in college, I was in a a communications class, and, and someone was talking about religion and then they, they asked me, well, you know, why do you believe? And I was like, because I want to go to heaven. And they said, well, that's not a good reason to believe. And I was like, I think it's a pretty good reason. I want to go to heaven. That's not the initial reason why you have faith. You have faith because you believe in Jesus. You believe who he is, that he is who he says that he is. But we chase after him and we pursue him because of this call to righteousness, which is a call to, to be perfected by Jesus and eventually to go to heaven. If you follow Jesus, you'll follow him all the way to heaven. So Paul's life goal is to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. That is to be righteous, to be Christ-like, to be living 100% for Jesus, to be known entirely in Jesus. But here in verse 12, he says... I'm not, I'm not there yet. I'm not quite there yet. I, I'm not already perfect. I've, I'm still a work in progress. I've still, got, I've still got work to do. And he says, because, and I'm still pressing on. I press on because Jesus has made me his own. So, Paul, let's think about this for a second. The Apostle Paul is saying, hey, I'm not quite there yet. I'm not quite there yet. I'm not perfect yet. I'm not righteous. But I press on to make it my own because because Jesus is still working on me. Let's really absorb the idea that the Apostle Paul at this point in his life is saying, you know, I don't follow Jesus perfectly, but I'm working on it. Paul had everything you could want as a first century Jew. He had it all. And he left it all behind in order to know Jesus. And in following Jesus, so he left all the good things behind and he accepted Jesus. And then in accepting Jesus, what was that life like? What has he been through? Well, there's a nice little summary in 2 Corinthians 11 about what Paul has been through for the sake of Jesus. Let's, it's in your outline. Let's read it together. Not out loud together, but let me read it to you. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse 24. He says, 
Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Shipwrecked! Three times! A day and a night I was adrift at sea. They make movies about less than this. He was floating in the sea for a day and a night for Jesus. Shipwrecked three times. A day and a night I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger of rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. In toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, and aside from all that, there's this daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches that I've planted. Yes, Paul, tell them about how, how, how much pressure the church gives you. Tell them, please. I'm sorry. Okay. And he says, who is weak and I'm not weak? Who is made to fall and I'm not indignant? If I must boast, I'll boast of the things that show my weakness. Paul, Paul has left this beautiful life as a first century Jew and he's accepted this life as a first century Christian, which has caused him to almost die several times. To be constantly living in danger, constantly, constantly, uh, anxious about what could happen. And then, aside from all of the outside pressures, there's also the pressures that come from inside. Having planted so many churches, having planted the first churches in Europe, like the church in Philippi. And there's all the anxiety that he has about making sure that they're keeping with Jesus, making sure that they're following Jesus correctly, managing all their problems. Think about being Paul. And you're, and you're out in the cold, and you're hungry, and you finally make it to a city, and then someone finds out that you're there, and then they bring you a letter. Oh, I'm glad that we found you. Here's a letter from one of the churches that you planted, and it's all horrible news. It's like, oh my gosh, Epaphroditus this, and Ananias this, and you're going, oh my gosh, like, can I get a break? Because... It's hard enough just being out by myself trying to plant these churches. Now I have to nurse the churches too. It's, that's very hard. Paul's life is difficult. It's difficult. And he's old. He's 60-something. And you think that's a joke. In the first century, you wouldn't live much past 50-something. If you made it to 20 you were lucky. Once you made it to 20, you could probably make it to, your f- to 50, but not much after that. Paul's in his 60s, and he's getting shipwrecked and stoned nearly to death. That's Paul's life. That's Paul's life. And you know what? He loves it. Not the pain of it, but knowing Jesus. He goes, it's all worth it. Is he complaining about it? He's not complaining about it. He's planted all these churches. 
and he's writing the Bible, by the way, and he says, I'm not righteous. He says, I haven't made it yet. I don't want you to think that I've obtained it. I'm not, or that I'm perfect. I'm not. You know, in church, when we talk about discipleship, when we talk about pursuing Jesus and following Jesus, we talk about leaving what you had before, leaving that behind. That's called repentance. Leave your former things behind and follow Jesus. So repent of all of the the, the, the bad things, the things that don't honor Jesus, and, and follow Jesus wherever he sends you, right? We talk about that a lot. Wherever he sends you, just go. By faith, go. You could calculate it out. You could do all the math, but by faith, if Jesus calls you to go, go. And that's exactly what we find with Paul. If Paul was a member of this church, I'd be like, that's the guy. Be like Paul, everybody. And Paul is sitting there going, hey, just don't think that I'm perfect because I'm not. And what a good lesson. What a good lesson for us. I think I need to raise my standards a little bit. Paul's not righteous. But Paul says, I haven't made it, but I press on. I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Paul is not letting go of Jesus because Jesus hasn't let go of Paul. So he keeps chasing righteousness. And then we get to verse 13. Brothers, I don't consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul hasn't fully taken ownership of righteousness yet. He says, I'm, I'm, I'm not perfect. I'm not quite there yet. But you know what? He has made his own. He says, but one thing I do, I don't consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, what has Paul taken ownership of? the journey, the race, the process. He says, that's where I live. I live in the middle of trying to get there. Listen to how he describes that. One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Let's start with the first part of that. Let's, start, let's talk about leaving what's behind. Let's talk about it. Does your past stop you from following Jesus with all your heart? Does your past, maybe, maybe past habits, uh, maybe past relationships, maybe a bad experience with a church from the past, maybe a bad experience with a pastor from the past, um, maybe um, financial struggles from the past. Does something from your past stop you from following Jesus with all your heart? I typically dislike it when I hear people preach, you've got to forgive yourself. Start by forgiving yourself. You've heard that? You've got to forgive yourself. I don't usually like that. But in this passage, I find something really powerful. He says, in order to chase that goal, in order to pursue Jesus completely, 
one thing I do, I forget what lies behind. Forget what lies behind. There are things that hold us back, chains that will hold you back, um, whatever they are, if they're sins. If you've got sins that are holding you back from following Jesus more fully, confess them to Jesus, let him heal you, let him forgive you, and then forget it. Forget it. Let it go. It's gone. Anything that you're still holding on to, you haven't allowed Jesus to truly forgive you for. Confess it to Jesus, let him heal you and forgive you, and then let it go. Walk away. That's what Paul says. Hey, I'm not perfect. I haven't made it. I have not made it my own. I haven't captured that yet. But one thing that I have captured is this journey where I forget what lies behind. And Paul's got a lot of stuff behind him. God, we just read a whole list of stuff that's happened to him. He forgets what's behind and all the good stuff that was behind. And he lives in the moment. And in the moment, he says, I'm chasing after Jesus, straining forward to what lies ahead. What is stopping you or slowing you down in your pursuit of Jesus? What is it? The principle here in this passage, and it's worth writing down, it's in your outline, is it's hard to run when you're tethered to your past. And I like the word tethered because it makes me think of tetherball. I think every time I hit that ball away from the pole, it just swings right back, and it just can't go any farther than that rope will let it go. You can't chase after Jesus when you're holding on to something. Have you, have you seen the athletes who train with those um, like resistance bands or parachutes, like um, sprinters who are training for the Olympics or uh, football players in the offseason? Uh, Logan, you got a picture of a, a guy with a parachute on? They'll be running, but they have a parachute open behind them, and they're trying to train their muscles uh, to, to, to run faster, to sprint faster more quickly. And so the idea is if I train like this and then I take it off, then I'll be fast, faster than I would if I were just running on my own. Um, Or people that have like weights or things that they're dragging behind them, um, just trying to work on their muscles to get faster. The one that I always think is funny, and I see this with football players, is the resistance, like a bungee cord. And one guy's got it uh, on, his, uh, on his waist, and he's running, and someone else has got it on their waist. You've seen this before, and they're like, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, cool if you're training for something, but in real life, that doesn't work, right? If you're in an emergency and someone's going, Okay, is this working? That's not how it works. That's a bad idea. Paul says that you have to let go of the things that are holding you back. You have to, well, you cut the cord, right? You have to let that stuff go so that you can pursue Jesus. So it's hard to run when you're tethered to your past. So give it up, whatever's holding you back. And notice what he said next. Strain forward to what lies ahead. 
That goal, that finish line, is the upward call of God in Christ. That's eternal life. And there's so much peace at the finish line. Amen? You see the finish line and you go, have you ever run? Have you ever been in a race and you see the finish line and you go, oh, once I get there, I'll be able to just, oh, and I'm done. And there's so much peace that's there. Paul says in this race, he goes, I'm not there. I'm not done. By the way, the race is not your life. The race is your faith. The, the goal is not your death. The goal is righteousness. The goal is Christ. So Paul is seeing the goal and he's going, oh man, you're right there. And so I'm going to work so much harder. The closer I get, the more I want to work for it, right? Because you pace yourself at the beginning. But when you get close, when you get close, you just, every ounce, every ounce, and you strain you strain toward that goal. My family watches this show called American Ninja Warrior. Anyone else? Anyone else? American Ninja Warrior? Yes. Okay. If you have not seen all of the current season, spoiler alert. Have you not seen it? Has everyone watched? Okay. Spoiler alert means I'm going to ruin something for you if you haven't seen it. Okay. American Ninja Warrior is an obstacle course TV show, and you run through all of these races and swing on all these bars and things like that, and the, the final sort of uh, round is a four-stage obstacle course, and if you make it through all of the stages, you get to the fourth stage, and then you have to, uh, Logan, picture of Mount Midoriyama, you have to climb this 100-foot rope in 30 seconds. To the top and then hit the buzzer and you win a million bucks. I would be training for it, but I don't need to. <laughs> All right, because I'm not going to do it. That's okay. Um, so in the last season, the season that just ended, we watched it last night with, uh, with our kids. Um, one guy made it to stage four, and it's, it's rare that it happens. He makes it to stage four, and he's, he, he's about to have a baby, and he's in his 20s, and he's like, this is going to change my life, but he's exhausted from all of the other obstacles that he's been on. And he gets ready, and he's thinking, and he's been interviewed and stuff, and he's saying, look, I trained for this, I trained for this, you know, it should be, you know, I should be able to do this, I should be able to do this. Not only should I be able to do it, but it should be fairly easy for me. And we're going, okay. And we're watching it, and he starts, and he's, he's using all of his arms, and then he gets his legs around it, and he's using his legs, and I'm going to look like an idiot, but um, he's using his arms and his legs, and he's getting toward the top, and then they zoom in on him as he gets, like, he passes 70 feet up, and time is winding down, and you see it in his face. You see it in his face, just that he's straining everything that he's got, everything that he's got. He's going to leave nothing back, because time's running out. And that's what Paul is talking about is he's saying, I haven't made it yet, but guys, I, 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 I own this race. 
and I'm forgetting everything that's going to hold me back, and I am straining with every ounce of my being toward Jesus Christ. Why? Because he is not letting go of me. Remember that bungee? That's like, but in the opposite for Jesus, is he keeps pulling us toward him. And for you to stop, for you to really stop, you'd have to actually like stop. You'd have to try. Because if if you just go, Jesus will draw you toward himself. But you got to work for it too because otherwise he's just going to drag you and you don't want to be dragged. So strain forward. Try as hard as you can to get toward Jesus. He got up to the top of the thing. He hit the buzzer won a million dollars. That's the spoiler. Sorry. His name is Drew. He's one of our favorites. We love that guy. Okay. Um, so strain toward the prize not holding anything back and not letting anything weigh you down. And then in verse 15, Paul says, let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Paul, like I said, at this point is in his 60s, which is quite old for the first century And he calls out other mature believers. And he says, if you're mature, you really ought to think about this the way that I am. And if you disagree with me, pray about it, and God will show you that you're wrong. I'm using that from now on, by the way. Like, if you come to me with a problem, I'm going to say, like, well, here's what I think. And if you disagree, pray about it, and God will show you that you're wrong. If any of you thinks otherwise, God will will reveal that also to you. I love it. Okay. Okay. so Paul is, is telling the mature believers in Philippi who he's writing to that they should also think of themselves like Paul does, which is to say that you're not righteous. If you're mature in your faith, you should understand that you're not righteous. If you think you're hot stuff, you're probably not mature in your faith. The most faithful, mature people that I've ever known are the humblest people that I've ever known about their faith. I had a pastor um, when I was younger. His name was Dave. And whenever Pastor Dave would uh, take a survey or something that asked him about his spiritual maturity or his prayer life or anything like that, he would give himself horrible marks. And he was the most prayerful spiritually sensitive, mature believer that I've ever known in my life. And he would always mark himself very low. And not so that people would look at it and go like, oh, oh, hey. But he just did it privately. And he never saw himself as being great in the eyes of Jesus. He always saw himself with humility. And Paul is saying the same thing, that if you're mature in your faith, Understand that you're not righteous. Understand that you haven't made it yet, that you haven't crossed the finish line yet. And if you haven't crossed the finish line, you also have to understand that you need to cut loose of the things that are holding you back and you need to finish the race. Finish the race. If you're mature in your faith, 
know that you're not making all of the right decisions. That also means keep cutting things away. Keep letting go of the things that are holding you back. And keep giving everything that you've got toward pursuing Jesus. Don't live in the past. Don't rest on what you've done. Maybe physically you're not in the same shape that you once were. But forget what's behind and press on toward what's ahead. And what does that mean? If you... I worry that when I'm, when I'm old and my strength has failed and I can't do things the same way that I can now. I mean, long after I stopped hopping up here and started walking around there, I mean, long after that, when my strength has failed, like the song said, when my, when my strength has failed me, that I will sit there resting on what I've done in my past, that I will take comfort in knowing that I shared the gospel with this person and with that person, that I baptized this person and that person, and you know I was a part of this and that, and that I raised my boys, and, and that's enough. I've, I've done a pretty good job. That's my concern. Because that's not Paul's heart, and that's not honoring to Jesus, to give up and to rest on what we've already done. What are we doing now? So I know that maybe you can't chop logs, not like we need people to chop logs, but I know that you can't maybe do a lot of that stuff anymore, but what can you do? Ask yourself that. What can you do? Because I bet 90% of us could greet. 90% of us could usher. 100% of us can pray for the church. A lot of us could serve in the children's ministry. You're not actually rolling around on the ground. A lot of us could drive a bus. There's a lot that you could do. And, and it's more than just the physical things. What about writing an encouraging card? John, John made a, a funny comment about, about praising the pastor for how great his sermon was. You don't have to do that, but it'd be nice. And I'm being genuine. Or thanking someone in the children's ministry, or thanking someone in the youth ministry, um, or just writing a card to someone else in the church that just encourages them. You just got to have a hand and be able to write, lick an envelope, get an address, buy a stamp, or bring it to church. There's so much that you can do. So I think a lot of what I'm taking from Paul is stop thinking about what you can't do and think about what you can do and strain forward. Don't be worried about what you're leaving behind, but what are you looking forward to? Because Paul's not looking behind except to teach a lesson. So let those of us who are mature press on. And if you disagree, pray about it and you'll see that Paul's right. In a in verse 16, Paul says, hold to what you know. Let, let us hold true to what we have attained and continue to chase the righteousness that we have in Christ because you haven't got it yet. 
We haven't got it yet. There's a theological principle here that I want to pass on. The righteousness that we're promised is something that we have in Jesus because of his righteousness. Paul's point in this passage is that each of us is still a work in progress. We're not perfect. We all need grace, and we all need to be gracious with each other because we're all not perfect, and we all make mistakes. So there's a lot of grace to go around. I think we, I want to summarize this passage um, by saying one thing, that maturity in Christ is marked by being humble, because we've seen that in this passage. It's about your humility and understanding that you're still sinful, that you haven't made it yet, that you're still running the race. I'm still a work in progress. Being humble, but at the same time, being hungry. Because I'm humble about my, about my shortcomings, but I am dead set on pursuing Jesus. I let go of what's behind me, and I strain forward to the prize, which is the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, that eternal life. Does that make you hungry? You should be. You should want that more than anything. I want to make a couple points real quick. There's something encouraging about looking at Paul's life and realizing that your life's not that bad. Amen? Amen. Paul's very old for his day. He's been almost killed lots of times. He's shipwrecked three times and left adrift at sea. He's currently in prison writing this letter, worried about what's going to happen with his trial, confident that he's following Jesus correctly, but also worried about the churches that he's planted. Your life, you've got your problems. You've got your problems, you've got your concerns, but your life is a lot better than Paul's life. Would you trade it? Let me ask you that. Would you trade it? Yours for his? Yours for his. If you would, you're crazy. Because he had a hard life. But it didn't stop his attitude. He still loved Jesus. And he was locked in on Jesus. Maybe now, in this later part of his life, more than ever before, he is locked in on Jesus. Understand that nobody expects you to be perfect. But everyone here expects you to keep working on it. If you ever stop working on it, you're going to be in trouble with me because I expect us all to be locked in on chasing Jesus constantly, constantly. But part of that means if you have a bad attitude about something, consider Paul's attitude in the midst of his troubles and see that that's something that you can replicate because Paul's not perfect Sometimes when we think about Jesus, we think, I can't do that. It's Jesus. I can't be like Jesus. It's Jesus. But can you be like Paul? The answer is yes. So in the midst of troubling times, can you have a good attitude that's hungry for Jesus? Yes. Yes, you can. So think about Paul. And I don't want to overlook one last thing, that we can only still work on it. We can only keep working through this race because Jesus is still working on us. So we're going to take a couple minutes. We're going to reflect on this. And during the time of of reflection, I want you to think about how God is moving in your life. 
how is he still working on you and what do you need to what do you need to let go of and what do you need to pursue because the the reality is paul's right there with us and that's sort of cool i think that's cool paul's right there with you saying i've got stuff i need to leave behind and i've got more pursuing to do and paul is right there with us and i'm right there with us and we're all in the same ship together. Let's just not get shipwrecked. Amen? Amen. So let's keep chasing Jesus. Lord, we love you.